One of the things Steve said in our meeting yesterday, Steve Glick, he said, we want to make sure that our gatherings stay Jesus-centric and not virus-centric. Can anyone say? All right. So open up, if you have a Bible, Psalm 91. And so this was on my heart. I wasn't sure whether I should preach this or go this direction, and I had two people confirm that uh, just from stuff that they had said to me that uh, I just felt a confirmation in my heart that we should, this isn't going to be super in-depth, but Psalm 91 is an amazing psalm. It's an amazing psalm of confidence in God's ability to protect us, to deliver us, to keep us safe, and um, just an amazing psalm. So if you're taking notes, the title is, I, I don't know if this is a good title or not, Bulletproof in Jesus, all right? That's the name of the, that's the title that I came up with. So, um, so we're going we're gonna to read this psalm, and we're just going to go through it. <clears throat> my refuge and my fortress, Psalm 91, says this, he who dwells in the secret, in the shelter, sorry, I, I keep Reading it in my new King James. I'm reading a new translation now. ESV. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you shall find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who's also my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because, verse 14, 15, and 16 is a change of voice. It's no longer the psalmist talking to you and I. It's God talking to us in the first person. Because he has set his love on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father, we just thank you for the words of God. We thank you for this psalm. 
And Lord, I just pray, Lord, you would help all of us, every one of us in this room, to in a fresh way make you our dwelling place, <laughs> to make you our abode. Lord, we as Christians, we certainly visit your presence and we visit your, but Lord, we, we, we're called and invited to actually live there. So Lord, help us today, we draw near to you. James said in the book of James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So Lord, we draw near to you and we thank you for the amazing promises that you've given us in this psalm. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a psalm most writers think it was written by Moses, not a psalm of David. And... Uh, <clears throat> and uh, it's just a great, great psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So this is speaking about close, intimate relationship that we can have with God. Okay? Close, intimate relationship. It speaks of... Um, the shelter of the Most High, the, the shadow of the Almighty. And then he talks about, kind of uses the analogy of like a, a, a bird, like a mother chicken, or a, a think of a, a mother eagle. And God is the eagle, and we're the little defenseless chick. Okay? And, uh, oh, in verse 2 he says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge is and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. God wants to be our refuge. God wants to be our fortress. I asked the kids at Friday school this Friday, I said, what is a, what is a fortress? I think it was Derek Glick said, oh, it's like a castle. I'm like, that's exactly what it is. So I want you to think a castle. God wants to be our protective castle. When arrows are flying everywhere, when bullets are flying everywhere, no matter what it is, God wants to be that castle to us. We are the ones that are frail and needy. He is the mighty one. Look at verse four, 3 and 4. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. So just like a, a snare of a fowler is a way that somebody would set a trap for a bird. And the trap is set in such a way the bird doesn't see it. And he accidentally, it's, whether it's camouflage or not, he's oblivious to the actual trap. And all of a sudden he walks through and the noose tightens and he's caught and he's killed. God is our deliverer and protector from the snare of the fowler. You realize there's things out there we can't see. There's troubles we can't identify. You know, a lot of times Christians will ask the question, well, God, why did you allow some terrible calamity to happen to a Christian? I always in my mind think of this verse and I go, you know what? I think it, I, it's a fair question, but I like the other question, the opposite question. God, how many, how many snares did you like save us from today? <laughs> how many accidents did Christians not have today? How many disasters did we not have today? I don't even know because they're invisible, right? 
But God is the one that protects us. Again, though, I want you to see this as not just a blanket promise to all believers necessarily. It's for those that dwell in the shelter of the Most High. There, there, there's like this, there's this abiding, there's a, this aspect of abiding in Christ and dwelling in Christ. And so we, there, there is this part to play that we have to, to be walking close to the Lord, to draw near to Him. To, you know, when it talks about abiding and it talks about dwelling, it's just this simple. We need to live our life in God, in Christ. We need to live in Him. Sometimes my kids will be discussing issues or discussing things, and I'll often just interject Bible verses. I'm like, well, Scripture says this, and Scripture says that. And my one said to me once, he said, Dad, everything you got, you have a Bible verse connected with it. I'm like, exactly! God wants us to live in Him. Every bit of our life is in Him. It's not just Sunday morning for a couple hours. He affects everything, every relationship we have, every, every trial we go through, the way we look at the world. Everything is affected by our relationship with God. So that's what we're called to, to live in Him, abide in Him, dwell in Him. And this amazing promise of, of protection. So verse 4, He will cover you with His pinions. What are pinions? It's just another word for like feathers. Okay, it's part of His wing. He'll cover you with his, with his pinions, and under his wings you shall find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Well, what's a buckler? A buckler, I looked it up. It's just a shield. <laughs> he uses the same word twice. Shield and a buckler is like a small shield. But again, the idea that God is our protector and our protection. You will not fear the terror of night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. This is so just just loaded with like promises of God's protection in our lives. Loaded with promises of protection. You'll not fear, uh, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that um, wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand. What is, what is the psalmist talking about? One of my commentaries said, very possibly Moses was recalling, remember the story of the fiery serpents? And the fiery serpents, serpents because the people complained and griped and, and um, they were never happy. Um, these fiery serpents suddenly came out of everywhere and started biting people and they started dying. And Moses is probably referring to that time. And because God had a solution. He had a solution to protect people. It was when they put a serpent, a bronze serpent, on a pole, lifted it up, and everybody had to gaze at it and stare at it. Remember, while the serpents are all over the camp and going crazy, it was bedlam. And they were called to stare at that serpent on the pole, which is a type of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to abide in him, by the way. You keep your eyes on him. And you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. That's the place of protection. That's the only place of protection as we abide in Him. <clears throat> but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. 
Verse 9 and 10 are rich. This is great. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. Uh, I just want to read a little bit from uh, Charles Spurgeon. So Charles Spurgeon, in 1854, there was a cholera outbreak in London. And he was a young pastor in London. And so I've been reading some stuff about how he dealt with this kind of plague uh, in his day. And I found it really inspiring, and I found it super encouraging. And at one point, you know, he kind of stopped his itinerant uh, preaching schedule and, and just cleared his schedule so he could stay locally and just minister to people. And so he went day and night, day and night for weeks and months just caring for people and praying with the sick and visiting people. And at first, he started out with a lot of vim and vigor energy. He was a young guy. But after a while, he got really, really worn down. And he got really discouraged. He had been to many, many funerals. And he had seen probably personal friends of his had died. And he had gone, he said, you know, he couldn't weep anymore. He was just drung out like, like, a, like a dish rag. He was just exhausted. He was tired. He even started thinking, oh man, I think I'm starting to come down with it. He started thinking he might be sick. Now notice what he says here. He says, "As God, I love this. As God would have it, I was returning mournfully home from a funeral. When my curiosity led me to read a paper which was wafted up on a schoolmaker's window in the Dover Road, it did not look like a trade announcement, nor was it, for it bore a good, bold handwriting, these words, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come near thy dwelling. It's King James. This verse that I just read to you. The effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality. I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil, and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledged and in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. Isn't that awesome? He reads this handwritten note in the window, this verse, and it just infuses him with fresh life and vigor and confidence. It's so awesome. I'm going to keep reading because this is really cool. The psalmist in these verses assures the man who dwells in God that he shall be secure. Though faith claims no merit of its own, yet the Lord rewards it wherever he sees it. He who makes God his refuge shall find him a refuge. He who dwells in God shall find him a, dwell, a dwelling protected. He who makes the Lord our habitation by choosing him for our trust and rest, and then we shall receive immunity from harm. No evil shall touch us personally. No stroke of judgment shall assail our household. The dwelling here 
intended by the original was only a tent. Yet the frail covering would prove to be a sufficient shelter from harm of all sorts. It matters little whether our abode is a gypsy hut or a monarch's palace if the soul has made the Most High its habitation. Don't you like that? I love that. Get into God and you dwell in all good. And ill is banished far away. It is not because we are perfect or highly esteemed among men that we can hope or shelter in the day of evil, but because our refuge is the eternal God and our faith has learned to hide beneath His sheltering wing. This is by the Prince of Preachers. This is, he says it way better than I ever could, so that's why I wanted to read it. It's so awesome. So, this is such an amazing thing. So this is such a great promise. And someone might say, well, Mike, what if, what if in the call of duty, well, let me back up and say, many of God's, the greatest miracles recorded in Scripture are where God protects his people. Right? Think about it. Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, God protected them. Daniel in the lion's den, God protected them. In the New Testament, there's a story of, you know, uh, Paul when he was on this island of Malta and he's gathering sticks to make a fire and this, this snake goes out and grabs him on the arm, bites him. And all the natives are like, ah, ah, this guy had it coming. He must somehow have, have sinned and justice is being served because this, this poisonous snake is biting him. And the scripture says he just shook it off in the fire and just went on. And what should have killed him, and it didn't harm him, became an opportunity for a great witness to those natives about the resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So, again, the idea here is God has given us great uh, promises of protection as we're serving him, as we're dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty and abiding in him. And someone might say, yeah, but Mike, what about, if, what about if a Christian in the service of Jesus actually gets sick and ends up dying? Who cares? Like Bob was saying to earlier, really, in the grand scheme of things, who cares? That person, in my mind, would be like a martyr that's standing up for Jesus and preaching the gospel. That's a glorious death. That's a wonderful death. That's, that's, a, that's actually an opportunity to testify in a powerful, clear way to the reality of Jesus and his resurrection. Paul, to be honest with you, another, you know, Bob was reading out of 1 Corinthians. In Philippians, Paul said this. Um, I'm sure you're probably familiar with this, but I, I don't want to misquote it. I should have had the page marked already. Philippians. Yes, verse uh, chapter 1, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He was in jail. He was facing imminent death. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ, this, is, this was Paul's hope and his Goal that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die 
is actually gain. If I, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for you. Yet, which I shall choose? Uh, I, I can't tell. Paul was conflicted. He was actually struggling with which would he prefer. He actually was kind of tired at this point. He had gone through a lot of bumps and bruises and scars, and he'd served Jesus for many years, and he was kind of tired. And the idea of dying and being away from all of this and being in the presence of the Lord sounded really appealing to him. He was, he was kind of conflicted. <clears throat> um, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Mm. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Again, so what happens if a believer is serving Jesus, helping his fellow man, being a good neighbor, putting himself in harm's way? How many of you know the Christian church has always gone the opposite way of the crowd in times of distress and trouble? The Christian church, as the towers are inflamed and everybody's trying to get out, it's believers that are called to run inside and help those that are hurting and suffering. That's what God has called us to. This is going to sound nuts. This whole week, again, I, you know, kind of virus overdose at times, but I have had this incredible excitement in my heart. Like, God is going to do something good out of this. Like, we, are, we have been praying for revival for years. This isn't the way I would have drawn it up, by the way. Okay, Revival would have been, the way I would have drawn it up is, I would have preached a great sermon, or Bob would have preached a great sermon, or Harry would have preached a great sermon, and people are streaming in here, running to the altar, crying, confessing their sins, saying, Jesus, save me. And it happens week after week after week after week. That's the way I was drawing it up. Okay, I didn't have this virus on my radar. But this is going to be a great opportunity to minister to people. As already has been said uh, several times in this meeting, there are some people that are really, really scared. I was in a meeting. I was invited to a meeting in the little village here of Richville of some of the the leaders in the community. Uh, And the three different local churches were represented. And uh, then later on, yesterday, we had a meeting with some of our key leaders of the church here. And I can just say, it was about the same number of people. The atmosphere in those two meetings could not have been more different could not have been more different. The meeting, the first one I went to of the village leaders, there was this sense of like fear, panic. You know, one of the ladies said, you, like she said it authoritatively, like you, every one of us in this room are going to know people that have died because of this. And I'm like, you know, I tried to play, I have a poker face and stuff, but I'm thinking like, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, I don't, I mean, just don't be so confident, please. It just turns me off a little bit. At least acknowledge you're not sure. Maybe yes, I get it. 
but it was just, and, and just the sense of panic, and just everybody was like on edge. And then, like I said, we came to our meeting together here, and it was just calm and peaceful, and we're just having rich fellowship. But my point is this. I don't know. I just feel like we're on the precipice of, of something to help people. And it's, I'm not saying it's going to be an evangelistic campaign. We're not going to bring, you know, Franklin Graham in and have a big evangelistic meeting or whoever, some big evangelist. I think it's going to be that now we as believers are going to be able to have some openings with people, some relational doors, some opportunities to minister to people that wouldn't be there otherwise. I don't know about you, I know for me, what it took for me to become a Christian is I had a crisis in my life. My life was falling apart. Now, for those of you that are second or third or fourth or fifth generation Christians and you got saved you know, on your grandpa's knee at, at four years of age reading the Bible, that's awesome. God bless you. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not elevating my testimony. This is the only way it has to be. But for a lot of people... That is the, their story too. It's, it's at a time of crisis is when they look to God for help. And we have an amazing opportunity to be there for people. So let me go back to Psalm 91. Let me read the, the end of this. So p- bottom line is Paul was completely unafraid of dying because uh, dying for the believer is win-win. It's not win-lose, it's win-win. It's win-win. And so, back to Psalm 91. Let me, let me just start with the, the last uh, two, three verses. <clears throat> because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. In these last three verses, six times you see the phrase, I will. God says, I will. I will. I will. Look at this. Behold, he holds fast to me in love. Now, the, again, this is, this is conditional. God is saying he would deliver us because we're those that have set our love upon him. Because we have loved him, because we've put him first place in our life, because we've made him our dwelling place, God says, I'm gonna, because of that, I'm going to deliver you. I will deliver him, verse 14. I will protect him. Because he knows my name. When he, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God wants us to be unafraid. Now, I'm saying this, if anybody is a little bit fearful hey, the answer is let's just draw near to God. The answer in this season, you know, for some people, they're probably going to be like straight out busier than usual in this season. For others, they may actually have a lot more time on their hand. I don't know. I mean, uh, and and I, I have no idea how this is going to shake out for all individuals. There is going to be suffering, not only from the virus, but there's going to be economic hardship. There's no doubt about it. People are going to be feeling that pain. I'm thinking about like all these sports leagues that are completely canceled. I can envision, I mean, I've had my boys say this to me once or twice. 
Dad, what are we going to do at night? There's no NBA games. I'm like, dude, I don't know. Where's the Bible? <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, um, so the point is, is there's going to be a lot of things that people have like, a lot of routines in their life are going to be upended in this season. And some people, that's going to really throw them a lot. Sure. Sure. That's going to be a big, a big, big change. So, yeah, so actually I'm going to, I'm going to repeat it and, uh, in, in this context. So there's going to be great opportunities. I don't know all of what they are, but I'm going to share two opportunities that at least I've been thinking of this week. One is what Ivy just said, and that is for children that are normally in school, they're now going to be home. That's going to upend a lot of people's world. That's going to be a challenge. Um, and my wife, who's sometimes really just kind of a strategic thinker and, and kind of a visionary, she said, Mike, you know what I think God might do is all these homeschoolers and these homeschooling moms might really be able to help some of these moms now that have their kids at home, just in some practical ways of, hey, okay, this is how you bring some order to the chaos at home. <laughs> you got to have like a schedule of your day. Just some simple stuff like that, but there could be this great synergy, this great connection between moms that may never interact otherwise, but because of this, now there's a great opportunity to interact. And homeschooling families can maybe, you know, just give some practical tips to, uh, to those that don't normally have their kids at home, you know, Monday through Friday. That's one possible, you know, uh, application to this sermon right here, <laughs> okay? Another one is this, is when I was invited to the community meeting here uh, yesterday morning at 10 o'clock, uh, the person, one of the key people was they do work in the public school, and so I, I've been ignorant. I thought the main thing was happening in schools is kids are learning how to read, write, and do arithmetic. And what I discovered is a big part of the public schools is it's kind of a feeding program. How many kids get fed through the public school system? And so her big concern in the community was when these when, when the public schools are closed, this is going to be a huge challenge in the community. And so she was, saying, she was saying that to me as a church leader in like, this is something I think churches could really help out in. Joanne? They're going to carry on the food program. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, and so, but she... I, that, may, that probably is going to be the case, but the other thought they had was, in the community here, was, well, maybe the churches could, like, do, like, a Saturday meal, like a pickup. They come, 
people would pick up. They wouldn't have an eating here, but they would just kind of uh, a to-go meal, you know what I mean? And that was a way to serve the community. But yeah. the, again, this was stuff that I was not on my radar at all as far as things that they're worried about as we're facing this situation. Yeah, they will, they will continue to feed them. I know that Congress is, is doing an emergency funding bill for that. But having said that, I mean, one of the things that's going to happen, too, is that I think the real crisis is going to be economic because uh, this is going to hit the area and just the country really strongly economically. And so we could have a lot of people not able to work, a lot of restaurant workers, a lot of low-income workers are going to get hard with this because there's going to be less people going out to eat at restaurants. They can't have as many people in restaurants. Um, so, you know, things like that, people's incomes may see a dip during this time. So, so that might be a way, you know, even, even the meal thing, maybe on the weekends, might be a way to help people stretch their budgets a little bit. Um, so even the people who, you know, and a lot of people staying home, they're not going to be able to go to work because they got to take care of their kids, and they don't have money to do that, and they don't, they've got to be at work, but they got to be with their kids. Right. It's going to put a and lot of strain, a lot of strain. Right, yeah, that's the other thing. So there's going to have to be delivery, and I don't know if they're going to use the bus drivers maybe for that. Yeah, so somehow there's going to have to be delivery of meals. There's a lot of different things which may take place. So if you're available to help, just be ready and keep your eyes and ears open for serving, you know, because there's going to be a lot of opportunities for us to serve the community during this time. That's the bottom sure. line. Yes, that's the bottom line. So I'm asking you, and the challenge for all of us is to just, See this as an opportunity to touch people with the love of Jesus. See this as an opportunity to, sh to, to share Jesus. Be his hands and feet. Be ready to do whatever. Uh, and I just think there's going to be lots and lots and lots of opportunities. And I just believe God wants to touch people's hearts and touch their lives. And again, they maybe would never come here on a Sunday morning. Never come through the do doors of the church but we will have an opportunity because of this whole upheaval and the chaos and the pressure. People are going to feel a lot of pressure from this. So, amen? So, that's kind of my roundabout way to end the sermon.